What's going on, coaches? Welcome to Keep Your Pads Down, the podcast for all things defensive line play. Thank you for checking us out today. Hope this episode finds you and your family doing well. This is episode number 59. And man, I got to tell you, I've just been having a blast these last few weeks with this podcast and the guests that we've had on. They've really done a great job of bringing some some great value to me as a coach, and I hope that you can say the same thing. Uh, Keep spreading the word about our podcast here. Many of you have left reviews or sent us messages on Twitter or emails, which is awesome. And and if you haven't left us a review, please do that. It it, it takes just a couple minutes, and it does a lot in increasing the visibility of our show here. But once again, thank you, the listener, for checking us out each week. Our audience is growing every month, which is exciting, so I'm looking forward to the future and reaching out and helping more coaches, particularly UD line guys. Okay, now before we get to our guest today, I want to take a few minutes to talk about something that I think is important for all coaches to do, and there really isn't a better time to do this than right now with the extra time we all have. You know, coaches reaching out to each other more than ever. You you look out on Twitter or any social media platform, and you're seeing coaches collaborating, unlike ever before, at least that I've seen. And that's awesome. So in light of that, I think that it is extremely important that we as coaches take the time to build our coaching network. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we all know that in this business of of coaching and really in, in any business, this is how the world works, that it's not what you know, but fill in the blank, everyone, who you know, right? Uh, whether that's the way it should be or not, that's the way it is. And in saying that, you know, I'm not diminishing the importance of knowing your X's and O's. You know, that's the whole point of this podcast is to help you guys grow in your knowledge of football, but you have to work at being an expert at whatever position you're coaching, the side of the ball you're on, and then also you have to find out as much as you can about the other side of the ball and how they're coaching things over there. So that's extremely important. But again, I believe it's equally important, if not more important, to build your coaching network. And there are a lot of ways to do that. Uh, you know, obviously through social media, contacting someone that way, email, phone calls, going and sitting down with a, with a staff, uh, having a one-on-one conversation with another coach, tons of ways to do that. But before I get to what a network is, let me tell you what it isn't, okay? Your coaching network isn't your Twitter followers or the guys that you follow on Twitter, okay? You know, you run Nick Saban's defense, great. That doesn't mean he's part of your network. You have uh, the business card of that D1 college coach who passed through your school on a recruiting trip. Good. That doesn't mean he's in your network. A network is made up of coaches and people who you have spent time, and that's a key word, time building a legitimate relationship with. Now, the cool thing is, is in our day and age with technology being the way that it is, is you you can have someone in your network whom you have never met face to face. Uh, Some of the guests that I've had on this podcast are a great example of this. You know, there are guys I've had on here whom I've never been in the same room with. But I can call them when I have a question about something or, or maybe need some advice, and I would trust what they would tell me. And I think they could say the same thing about me. And that's because, you know, over time, we've communicated enough and built that trust, which allows us to do that. You know, which leads me to another point. In order for your network to work, both parties have to benefit from that relationship. You know, your motives for engaging in a relationship and, and aligning with, with, with another coach, they have to be pure. If you're constantly hitting the guys up in your network, I'm using air quotes there, in your network for jobs, whether it's college coaches or you know, high school head coaches, athletic directors, 
then, then your network's not going to work for you. Uh, you know, people are going to see through that and they're going to alienate themselves from you. And, and you're going to look around and you're not going to have anybody that you can count on or depend on because you're always hitting people up for stuff. However, if you, if you seek to build strong alliances, which I think, I think is a good word for it, alliances with other coaches where both parties are benefiting, then your network can be a powerful thing. We've all probably witnessed that where we got a job or we got an interview, not because we were a great coach, but because we knew someone, right? So while we have this extra time, get to building real authentic relationships with other coaches with no strings attached and no expectations you know, of leveraging that relationship for something better. Now, does this mean that you shouldn't look to align yourself with influential people? Absolutely not. You should do that. However, like I said earlier, in order for a network to work, both parties have to benefit. And by the way, I think you should always take care of the guys in your network first, and your helping them should not depend on how much or little they've helped you. I think that's an important thing to remember. So, so put yourself out there. Yeah, follow guys on Twitter, but also pick up the phone. When this quarantine lifts, go, go see people. Uh, and, and, and have pure intentions and motivations when you do that. Hop on Zoom, get to know other coaches. It doesn't have to be a big-time guy. You know, the middle school coach in your town, he could very well be your boss in a couple years. Or the NAIA coach who's recruiting your kids, he may be a D1 coordinator in a few seasons. You, you never know. So anyway, not preaching, just giving my two cents. Um, build that coaching network. And, you know, to me, it's kind of like, and I'm definitely no financial expert or coaching expert, uh, but it's kind of like uh, having a solid financial portfolio, which a lot of us, you know, I'm talking to, to coaches and teachers here and they, you kind of laugh at that, like, ha, what's that? Uh, anyway, but a solid financial portfolio, you know, you have diverse assets, right? Well, your coaching network needs to be diverse also. Line coaches, skill coaches, college coaches, middle school coaches, school leaders, business leaders, et cetera. I mean, you got to have them all in there. And I, I don't think you want a coaching network full of guys who are just like you, who think just like you. You got to have some diversity in there as well. So there you go. There are my thoughts on that. Take it or leave it. But you didn't tune in today to hear about that. You want to hear from our guest. So let's get to him. I am honored to be joined today by legendary coach Ruffin McNeil. Now, Coach McNeil most recently served as an assistant head coach and outside linebackers coach at the University of Oklahoma, where he coached for three seasons, two of those coaching the defensive tackles, and in the 2019 season, he coached the outside linebackers for the Sooners. Before coming to Norman, Coach McNeil was the assistant head coach and defensive line coach at the University of Virginia. He also served as the head coach of his alma mater in the East Carolina Pirates from 2010 through to 2015. In 2012, East Carolina posted an 8-5 record, which included an appearance in the New Orleans Bowl. In 2013, Coach McNeil's Pirates posted the second-most wins in school history, going 10-3, including a win over Ohio University in the 2013 Beef O'Brady's Bowl. The season also included wins over in-state rivals North Carolina and North Carolina State. Before being named head coach of the Pirates, Coach McNeil spent a decade in Lubbock at Texas Tech as an interim head coach, assistant head coach, special teams coordinator, and defensive coordinator, and linebackers coach. Now, a side note here, Coach McNeil was named interim head coach of the Red Raiders the week of the 2010 Alamo Bowl uh, versus Kirk Cousins and the Michigan State Spartans, which was, of course, right after head coach Mike Leach was fired by the school. Uh, anyway, remarkably, Coach McNeil led the Red Raiders to an impressive 41-31 victory in that game, and he's going to talk about that a little bit in our conversation today. 
Uh, anyway, before coming to Lubbock, Coach McNeil spent time as a defensive coordinator at Fresno State, UNLV, where he was also the assistant head coach, and Appalachian State. Before that, Coach spent time as an assistant at East Carolina, North Alabama, Appalachian State, Austin P, and Clemson as a graduate assistant. Coach McNeil began his coaching career as a high school coach at his alma mater there at Lumberton High School in North Carolina before landing a GA job at Clemson. Coach McNeil was a defensive back for the East Carolina Pirates for four years under then-head coach Pat Dye. In three of those years at ECU, he was a starter, and two, he served as team captain. In his first year with the Pirates, Coach McNeil helped East Carolina to the 1976 Southern Conference Championship and a berth in the Independence Bowl two years later. Coach McNeil graduated from East Carolina University in 1980. He later earned a master's degree in counseling from Clemson. Now, following the 2019 season, Coach McNeil announced that he would be taking a year off from coaching to tend to his father, who is in poor health. But to be clear, he is not retired and will coach again in the future. You know, I got to know Coach McNeil this past season while he was at OU, and, and I got to say, in my experiences with him, he is an extremely personal, engaging, and sincere person. And he has a magnetic personality, and I loved getting to talk to him whenever I got the chance, and I'm thrilled for you to hear from him today. So today, Coach McNeil and I talk about his long and illustrious coaching career, including things he learned along the way, his favorite everyday drills, pursuit drill, and the coaching principles and philosophies that he has taken with him everywhere he goes. And then we'll finish up having some fun with our rapid-fire questions and maybe even some movie recommendations for you. So a lot of great stuff for you today, so let's get to it. Here's Coach Ruffin McNeil on episode number 59 of KYPD. Coach McNeil, it is an absolute honor to have you join us on the podcast today. Thank you for talking with us. Oh, man, it was great to be here, Tyrant, as always. I was looking forward to our conversation tonight on your podcast and looking forward to talking ball and talking a little bit about football life, too, as well. Yes, sir. Well, Coach, you know, I want to start off with you telling us a little bit about your, uh, your, your background. You're a North Carolina guy through and through, uh, growing up there in Lumberton and playing ball there at East Carolina and Greenville under under our legendary coach and coach uh, Pat Dye. So just tell us a little bit about that, just your upbringing days as a player. Well, you know, when I came from a very athletic neighborhood, it goes back to growing up. Uh, two of the guys in the neighborhood were drafted first round by Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Tim Worthy, uh, uh, a running back, and Jermaine Stevens, an offensive lineman. We had another guy, Arthur Lord, one of the best athletes I've seen then and now. Anybody, uh, he got drafted in baseball, but I was very fortunate coming from an athletic neighborhood. Uh, East Carolina was great. We had a great opportunity there. Like you mentioned, I already played for Coach Pat Dye. Uh, he was the first coach, I think, one of the first coaches to lead Bear Bryant's staff at, 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 um, by, at um, Alabama and took the head job East Carolina back in the 70s. And uh, so he had that old school flavor, which I was raised on. Uh, three practices a day minimum, tough, <laughs> hard-nosed football, you know, and I learned a lot so much from Pat Dye and became so close to Pat Dye. My recruiting methods came from Coach Dye, you know, how he recruited me and recruited our teams. So meant a lot. My dad, before, even before Pat, my dad helped my coaching, base coaching philosophy time more than at, at, at the beginning of, of helping me with, you know, effort 
and also with uh, making sure that you keep things simple. And the third thing was have balance. So that came started with my dad, and then it just happened by ten. Coach, uh, Coach Die at East Carolina. We were very we had uh, wishbone offenses, defenses. We kept simple because we had a lot of speed in our defense, a lot of speed on offense. Uh, I, I mean, I'm talking about astronomical speed that you know that I could you go back and check our fullback. You know, Sutton ran four two nine. Wow. Uh, our nose squad was four six. Our linebacker ran. Four two eight uh, at, a, at a pro deal, you know what I mean. So I was the slowest one in the secondary at my size at two twenty, and I ran four five five four five six. I was just one of the slowest ones, you know. So yeah, but so I learned from Coach Guy and from my dad how to keep it simple. And the hardest thing about keeping it simple is keeping it simple. <laughs> and then I left there, started Danny Ford at the Clemson. Um, you know, been with some great ones, Steve Logan, uh, uh, Jeff Horton at Vegas. Of course, working with Lincoln Riley is like a threefold from being a student assistant to a, a graduate full-time to OC to now head coach. You know, he's got to be thrown in that mix. Mike Lee, uh, just a, a lot of guys. Eddie Robinson, who I tried to get a lot of information from, a lot of guys in that to help shape my thought process. Well, I, I saw that you, you know you started out coaching at your alma mater there at your high school. Uh, how did you get into coaching in the first place? Well, my dad, you know, one of the things that uh, my home where I grew up, uh, it, it was it was doing segregation, and uh, it integrated while I was growing up. My parents were the first teachers to integrate. Integrate. I was the first student to integrate in my hometown, but we came from a family of educators. Uh, my uncles and aunts all taught school, uh, professors in college. My, my, I taught school. My wife taught school. Our home we lived in, Ty, was the educator's home. That teachers came from the north to move to the south to teach and work. And that, so I've always been around education. So in East Carolina, when I finished playing, it was a natural to come back and, and continue the teaching part, which I think that you do a great job. Coaching is teaching, and teaching is coaching, in my opinion. So getting to coaching field was great, and I love coach coming back to my high school and being able to coach basketball as a head coach and track as well as be an assistant in football. And my next step, though, was wanting to go to the next level of college football, and, and that's where uh, I had a graduate assistant opportunity at Clemson under Danny Ford, who ironically played for Pat Dye at Alabama under Coach Bryant. So I had a Brad, Coach Bryant influence from Coach Dye to Coach Ford at Clemson, who I worked under there. So, uh, and then from there, it was it, it was a tough road. I mean, Ty, I tell you this: I got turned down twenty five times for jobs as a DA. Wow! You know, before I got my first opportunity. Yeah. You know, after, yeah. So after I finished my master's degree, I applied and thought I would be okay, and I got twenty five no's. You know, so. There was a chance, an opportunity where I could not pursue the college route or go back to high school, which I was fine and great with going back to high school. But it worked out, and uh, you know, I learned a lot through all my my, my different stops in college football. And Oklahoma was a great great part there. And I'm not retired from football. Let me let you know that. Set that out for people. But I wanted to pause and take care of my dad, like we talked about before the show. 
but the college route is, is a lot, and I've met a lot of people like yourself. Well, Coach, you know, that, that's a great story there of, of, you know, getting turned down 25 times to get a GA job. Uh, what was the breakthrough for you that, that allowed you to finally break through and get that, that job? And then, you know, how did that impact you? I'm sure you've been around a, your share of, uh, fair share of GAs in your coaching career. How did that impact how you, you know, treated your GAs or looked at GAs? How did that impact that? Well, I tell you, let me, I, I probably, after I finished my graduate assistant at Clemson, I got turned down 25 times. Oh, okay. I got you. I got you. I got you. Yeah. 25 times for full-time jobs after I finished. I got you. But the graduate system part, and your question is a great question, is, you you know, if you have a goal and a dream, it's just how much you're willing to sacrifice and pursue that dream, but being prepared when the opportunity was there. Um, You know, it's, I was, I go back, you asked me earlier, my influence, my dad, we were not. We were taught you would never ever get us to quit. You couldn't do it. You can't do it now at my age now. But as growing up, we were, growing up, we, my mom and my dad, you're never going to quit, and that was ingrained in us. I mean, like a passion. It was a passion. So no matter what happened to me, what what happened to me, negative or whatever, I learned this: it's not what happens to you, is the big deal. It's how you respond. Exactly. You know, so how you respond to what happens to you is even more. And I do the same in coaching, you know, um, uh, success and failure. You know, uh, failure is, is, is not the end. And failure is only failure if you don't learn from it. But I've never failed, really, because I've learned from each mishap, each experience, positive and negative. So that was my mentality. And it really got tested early, but it worked out. And, uh, I was never going to stop pursuing my dream or goal. And uh, I was willing to work and do whatever I had to do. If it was cut grass, which I've done that before, kill walls on the sled that you use <laughs> as, a, as a line coach. You oh, use yeah. that killing yeah. walls, uh, line the fields, finding the nails on the field at that time to line the fields. You name it, I've done it. Let's let's talk about some of the highlights from the places you've been. You've you've touched on some of them already, but just kind of going through, you know, uh, places like you know, you spent a little bit of time at at, at Appalachian State, of course, at, at East Carolina a couple different times, UNLV, uh, a decade there at Texas Tech, uh, Virginia, um, and, and then and at Oklahoma, and of course, again, your days as a head coach there at East Carolina. Just talk about some highlights or some memories that that you have from 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 those places. Wow, that was that's. Another great question. Uh, you know, I, I would say from a player point of view, I got an opportunity to play up. You mentioned Coach Dyan. We had, I thought, a really good athletic and we also well-coached football team. But my freshman year, just being on special teams, the team concept was whatever you can do that for teams. I was on special teams. I was thrilled to be on that. And then I started from my sophomore year on. And my first start in college, I was against North Carolina State, and uh, we were leading 26-23 and playing a great quarterback at this time called Johnny Evans. And I was a sophomore. He threw 5,000 yards in one game, I thought, on us. Felt like it anyway. <laughs> you know, he just yeah. gassed us. But we thought we had won the game. We go in the locker room. They make us come back out, and they put two more seconds on the game. Now, here's my first start as a college football player. and so they put the ball on a two-yard line going in. Oh, wow. You know, we thought we had stopped them. 
and they gave him one more play from two yard line, two yard line. I was playing strong safety, and they threw a flare route. The running back Ricky Brown never get his name, and it was he or I, him, him, him or me. There, if I make the tackle, and I got to make a solid tackle, a head up tackle, or it's gonna be a touchdown, and we lose. And uh, I was Coach Will, like I mentioned earlier, and I think that that's where coaching comes in. And I was taught to get across the bow, drive your feet, grab clothes. And I stopped the tackle on two-yard line with a big hit, and we won the game. So that's my first as a player. My I, my first, uh, uh, i tell you what, head coaching job was that interim uh, uh, responsibility at Texas Tech with Mike Lee. We were playing in the Alamo Bowl. I was the interim coach for the bowl game against a great Michigan State team, Kirk Cousins, a lot of great players on that team. And I was named a head coach the week of the – of the bowl game, and we won that game in, in a fashion, one of the most highly controversial games uh, in the bowl history. And to have an opportunity to be a part of that was fantastic. That's where Lincoln and I coached together as well. My first, and then my first game as a head coach, East Carolina, my first football game was versus Tulsa, and we won the game on a last second pass. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's my first two head coaching jobs. One interim was in a highly publicized Alamo Bowl and then as a head coach. And then as a head coach, we were very fortunate. We had some good teams. They had a great staff. We were able to play opponents like UNC Chapel Hill. We beat those guys twice in in our tenure, State twice, Virginia Tech twice, Uh, teams that were you know, that we were not supposed to be at that time on paper. Uh, and then the rest goes on. You know, Oklahoma experience was fantastic. Able to win uh, the championships there. Texas Tech was a big game. One of the biggest games people remember would be beating Texas with the Michael Crabtree catch. Oh, yeah. And we won that game. You know, that was – so there's a lot of games that you mentioned it that were – Big or, or major, but the the all the games you know this as a coach is winning is hard, and I take wins very seriously against any opponent, and that was again talked to me by my dad, and uh, never underestimate anyone, and that was never a problem for me, and uh, so all wins were great, but those ones I mentioned sort of stand out. I want to go back to the story that about you know from your days as a player uh, against North Carolina State. All right, now, Coach, long t- you're a longtime defensive coach and defensive head coach. If you're a, if you're on North Carolina State's side and your offense calls a flare pass on the two yard line going in to win the game, how hard are you throwing your your headset on the ground when that when that play is stuffed and they don't run the ball right there? I, I, you know what? I, and to us as state, just like when we as a coach we played them. Those schools had more money and more notoriety because they were ACC at that time, and we were independent. Oh, you, you, and it doesn't work, man. You, 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 you really, uh, you know, it's it's as a coach, man. You, you think you got it because they thought maybe we were dropping into maybe a soft coverage. Yeah, you know, thinking about that. Yeah, we dropped into a straight cover three where strong kicked that head curl to flat, and we were taught. When you get close to the goal line, 
the goal line is your is your friend because your routes can't be run as uh, deep. So my drop was not as as deep as well. So, and you know, again, I, I give credit to coaches. My we were well taught and well coached. Yeah. You know, to at, even at that time in '77 to read combinations of routes. This receiver out means this is happening. Right. That kind of, that type of combination and. I was taught well, even as a young player. And when it happened, I, I got a, somebody across my face, which meant the play was coming out right now, which is my second go-to off the read. And I just then it came out of coaching and repetition in practice and rehearsal in practice. And then that moment, and then it just it it really was a natural reaction. And I didn't I didn't hesitate. It was it was that was that's why I keep saying coaching. I read the combination, which I was taught. I saw the ball release, planted, took an outside leverage on it, knew I had to make a high tackle. Because if it was low, a good chance of it spinning into the end zone. So I had to make a a, a, a high tackle up around the shoulder, neck area. Yeah. And then drive, because it, uh, Ricky Adams was about 230, 240, big running back during that time, and had speed. And uh, I had to hit him at the right time and drive. and bring my feet, it was a solo tackle, and I remember the game because my teammates were happy, and uh, it was a big win for our school, and my whole deal was I had a chance to help the team win right. more than me, right. you know, so. Right. Well, Coach, looking back looking, looking back on your, at, at this point in your career, and like, like you said already, you're definitely not retired, you know, taking a break to, to take care of your dad, uh, but looking at, at your coaching career at this point, what would you say, uh, you are the most proud of? Uh, first, my family. Uh, my daughters, my wife, who is my better three-fourth, not better half as a coach. <laughs> your wife is your better three-fourth, not half. They were able to move and help me with my career, dream, and goals. But each move, they adjusted without me. Yeah, They were able to adjust and we joked about it earlier, improvise and adapt. The coaches' yeah. wives have the hardest job in family. So I'm most proud of how my family's adjusted and then how my daughters have turned out. They're independent. They adapt quickly. They're not afraid of challenges. They understand victories and losses, ups and downs, highs and lows, how to overcome those things, adjust to new schools on the run and new friends. So that's number one. Number two, the players. Uh, all the players had a chance to come in contact with during that time and hoping I had an influence to, to make them better people. And in our business, we deal mostly with, with young men, making sure they become great men, great fathers, great, whether their daughters call them daddy, not huh. just father, but their dad. So that was a big deal. And then the third thing was, the ability to work with so many great staffs and great coaches I've worked with. Man, I can't begin to name all of the guys that, that I've had an opportunity that, that, that I hope. I know they're affecting my life, and I, I hope that I affect them. But it will be family, the players, and the great staff I've been a part of. Learned a lot of these stuff. Yeah, absolutely, Coach. Again, looking at, at your coaching career, you have been fortunate to be around a lot of a lot of great programs, a lot of great coaches. Uh, so here's my question for you. We're talking defensive line today, and you know, you played, as you mentioned, you played safety in college, and you began 
your career. I know coaching linebackers. And uh, so, so when it came time for you to coach the defensive line, you know, who are some guys that you look to as examples and, and who kind of helped you shape your philosophy as a defensive line coach? Well, you know, it's it's the clinic that I always attend the clinic and, and coaching schools, as they're called in Texas. And, 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 and anybody that talks scheme and schematic thought and then technique and those things thought. And then, uh, you know, it's hard to pinpoint that one guy I learned from the most. You know, I've done – that's a great question. I never thought about that particularly. But I knew this uh, is my planning as a defensive coach and a coach period was like this. This is how I was trained as a young one by my dad again, my mom. When I was a an assistant, as a, I put it this way, as a GA, I can gut myself to be a full-time, and I carry myself like a full-time coach. So when it happened, I would be able to react and prepare better. Yeah. As an yeah. assistant coach, I prepared to be a coordinator. So I can gut my meetings, my room as a coordinator. So when I did get a coordinator's opportunity later, I'd already been practicing and preparing for that position. Yeah. And then as a as I've been a special teams coordinator and a defense coordinator, but as either one as a coordinator, special teams especially because you deal with the entire team, but even as a defense coordinator, I prepared as if that was a team and I was the head coach. Not knowing if I would become a head coach or not, I prepared that way. So in becoming a defensive coordinator, I put all my studies and learning every the every ends and out of a defense, each position from front end to back end. Uh, one of the biggest things that helped me was breaking down film as a GA. At the time, we didn't have, when I said film, just like I said film, not video, not computer video, but actual film. And we had to cut it up and break, break down ourselves at Clemson. So I studied so many defenses at that time, you know, from Bruce Smith, so many defensive players. We had Michael Dean Terry, Prince Ray's Terry brother on our defense at Clemson and so on and so forth. Tom Harper, great name from the past, was our D-line coach there at Clemson and our defensive coordinator. Just That's one of the names, but you know, just watching and see how they performed. And then I just came up with my philosophy. You know, what I believed in as a coach and then what I believed in at any position I coached, uh, whether it was D-line, quarterback, O-line, linebackers, there's a certain philosophy that you got to have. Yeah. And uh, it applies to either one. And I took pride in great coaches, being a great coach is being to coach any position at any time. So I always felt very confident in being able to coach any position as an assistant, any position, and ready for any staff maneuver that was needed, which has happened three times in my career. Mid-season, making a move on defense, defense and named me defensive coordinator in middle of the season. Happened to me twice, once at Tech and then once at Oklahoma. And then as a head coach in, in midstream at Texas Tech during the Alamo Bowl. So I, I was able to handle those situations, I think, one, because I was around good coaches before, but my mentality was being prepared for those opportunities before it happened. So the question was, my defensive philosophy came from my entire preparation 
Preparing to coach any position, secondary, linebacker, inside or outside, in a three-four, or uh, inside in a whatever four-three or 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 three-four, or up front, coaching three or four up front. So it didn't matter. So I was ready, and my philosophy I felt would help in preparation, and, and it has. When you were when you were coaching the defensive line, coach, what were some of your your favorite everyday drills? Well, you know, the biggest thing I start from, Ty, is making sure everybody's on the same page. So let me let me do it the right way, like I'm coaching you right now. The first thing you can hear from me is to be early. And on time, you're late. And the next thing was going to be, one thing we're going to be known for is effort. You, and that, and, and, and if we, I don't care about script. I don't care about everyday drills, which I have some, I believe in EDD, what I call them. And if we don't give effort, so I will stop. Even as a coordinator, I would stop practice, and we pick conditioning and effort. So that's the first things you would hear from a meeting from me. And then it would be this, and you probably heard it, but alignment, assignment, technique, epoch at D line, explosion point of contact, and then making the finishing plays. I believe D linemen should be able to get off box and make plays. So. It was alignment, having great alignment, assignment, knowing your job, having great technique, epoch, explosion at the point of contact, EAPOC, and then making the finishes plays. So I, I felt that, you know, and that what I just told you would work in any position. And uh, I felt that that's my base. But D-line play, it varies on what your defense, I think, particularly my opinion, is what's your defensive coordinator scheme? Are you going to be a read and attack? Or are you going to be an attack and then attack? Yeah. And read on the run. You right, know what I mean? Right. So uh, I based the drills on whatever the defensive coordinator wanted and what type of scheme we, we were in. But some base drills in the read front are, of course, get up, ball, get off. Reach and gather drill, which is a step and gather, bring your back foot, step and gather footwork, and locking your arm out at the same time in that reach and gather. Those are up up top moves on two legs. And then under the, under the cage, uh, under the sled, under the cage, excuse me, it would be movement, lateral movement, bag movement, get off movements, all the movements, any movement you could that will help your position group. Uh, like last year, for example, and in years when I coached the line was movement lateral, but getting a vertical step, getting that first lead step up, all those were under the cage, under the under the cage type thing. Next is going to be hand placement. That's the most valuable thing on defensive linemen was hand placement drills. So we always, <clears throat> there's a ton of those drills to come up with. Uh, drills you can do again on two legs. Uh, with if you are head up defensive lineman doing head up nose type hand placement, and then if you're in a shade progression or shade type technique, moving from uh, left shoulder to right shoulder hand placement, those you can't do enough hand placement, and it was an over emphasis for our defensive line in off season, and and doing the season which is tougher. Is to have great hand placement because you got to make the hands become 
and move with an unconscious competence. You know what I mean by oh, that, yeah, right? I like that. Yeah, I like that. It's uh, they have to be placed with unconscious competence. With all those, it goes back to a number one deal, and I say it right now is eyes. Where are your eyes? The eyes tell the brain what to do. The brain tell the feet and hands what to do. So those drills, and I got a bunch of drills we can talk about, but but getting those drills, that was a major part. And then, of course, you go to six-point explosion on bag or sled, three-point explosion, bag or sled, and then it then progress the body with an offensive with an offensive body. And then, uh, you know, you got in-fight adjust, steer drill, all different blocks, never changed since I began coaching, base, reach, cutoff, double team, zone scoop. Then the out-out became big cut drills and U-turns. And then, of course, you couldn't do all of them every day. Let me go back. I believe in being darn good at one or two things, then a half, then half tail at 10. Yeah. So with all those drills I'm telling you about, there's some everyday drills in there to get off, reach and gather, the movement. Hand placement, which were tied into a lot, but it was it was doing less more than doing more or less than my thought process. Uh, there's parts holding whole part. I believe in the part and eliminating the part. So that's a big deal. So um, and all these things we're talking about, it was going to be uh, quality instead of quantity in, in each area. I didn't care what we had. And if we had 15 minutes individual, I would try to get out earlier to incorporate some other everyday drills that we needed or something we need to work on that we hadn't done the day before. But the everyday drills were there. But it was going to be a concentrated thing. For example, if my footwork was off, why go to something else until you straighten that? Yeah, yeah. You know, if you didn't have great hand placement, why in the world would you try to put in something different without fixing that sequence. You know what I mean? Everything moves yeah. in sequence. And yeah. so my whole thought process was, and it moves slower, I'll move to the next step when they accomplish this one. And, and I became very stern with that as my years went on. Is, and even as a team or a defense, you heard mention, guys, we're not putting in one defensive call, stunt, blitz, coverage, until we learn effort. If it took two weeks of us doing pursuit drills, that's what it's going to take. Because you got to mean what you say and say what you mean. So everyday drills vary with the particular defenses that I was a part of, whether it was a read and react or attack and then react. And then they had that few drills that I like and what needed for that particular defense. And I would label that the three or max, but three. And then, as we need it and can get them in, especially in spring and off season, add those other things too. Uh, the defensive blocks you got to see up front. That's got to be a part of that period where you got to show them face, reach, cut off. Those are single blocks, and then go to double uh, two people to cutting off. You know what I mean? And yeah. 
double teams, doing those type things early, but that being incorporated. But I always guard against quality. I mean, instead of quantity. Right. You know, right. you've heard this, you know, Bruce Lee, you heard the Bruce Lee term was, I fear a man that has done one kick 10,000 times. Right. Then I fear a man has done 10,000 kicks one time. Right. Right. So my, the, t- the position I coach was going to be that way at Oklahoma. Didn't matter. If Green Bay Packers would not have mattered. That, that, that's the what, that's why I believed in. That's the biggest thing as a coach. You believe that. And then you get results. It goes back to when you first asked me about technique. I didn't talk technique first. I talked make sure you early and understand the effort. You remember that? Right, right. That's what I believe in. We're not going past that. If, you, if, if, if you're late, everybody's late. That, that's the whole philosophy. If, if you're late, the whole group is late. That means the whole group punished. You know, and, and that's, that's, what it, that's what it amounts to. And that's that unity that starts at any group position that you have. Uh, O-line, they have a hand, five fingers. D-line either has three fingers or four fingers. You know, uh, but it's a group, secondary. Again, or five DBs, whatever it might be. Linebacker, two to three, maybe four, some opportunities. But, you know, establishing that, everybody's on the same page, be early, and it's called group call. And then effort. So, that's going to be first. So anyway, everything went back from that. That helps a little bit. I know I yeah. rambled, but I hope, hope the points were there of what I believe in particularly. And then the drills must adjust to what your coordinator wants. Right. That makes sense. You yeah. know, there's no, there's, no, there's no need to work on attacking upfield and then reading, reading re, attacking then, and then react if your defense is, right, is, is, is based on read or react by the coordinator. Right. You know what I mean? So the everyday drills I learned to adjust by defensive system. I'll give you another example. Uh, it's a linebacker example. I was at Fresno State before the Texas Tech job. Uh, a hiring firm put us all together with Mike Lee. I knew Mike at Valdosta, but a hiring firm came, and this is what I was told that the, the best of the best was their job. Who coaches this the best? Who's done this the best? Well, I was chosen to coach linebackers, I guess, because of my reputation, right? So my first thing I did with the linebacker group was I watched every film, Raymond Mackin, I didn't put it. It just come from the Seattle Seahawks. And that's when the new zone blitz stuff had come up, come apart. And he was a 4-3 guy. So I watched every game in every system, in that in the whole entire time, he was at Seattle Seahawks three to four, five times over and over and over again to find out what those linebackers needed to do in this system. And that's what I'm basing my everyday drills on. That Does that makes sense. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I, I think sometimes we start we we it's the opposite. You know, we kind of build these drills and then hope they show up in a game. But, you know, like you said, if you're watching film and then building, building drills based off of that, then you know that, that you're going to be efficient and that you're actually repping stuff that your guys are going to need in order to be successful on game day. There's no doubt. And then, and then at the end of the day, or when they watch your kids on film, it, it, 
two things. It's you're worrying what you're known for. When you watch your kids and your film, like in college situations, goes out to every college team in the country, has every game in the country. That's how with the new computer systems. Every NFL team watches every film in college. They have it. So when they watch your D-line, imagine that. You're coaching D-line, and every college team has it, and every NFL team has it. What's the first thing they say about your group? What do you want them to say about your group? For me, it's going to be it's going to be great effort, and they're going to be tough as nails, and they're going to play with great technique. Period. End of discussion. You know what I mean? And then I can add the rest, making plays and those type things. But the first thing, man, they play with great effort, and they are tough. Yeah. They are tough. Yeah. They will knock you the next week every single time. And they play with great technique the entire game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's the overall part, no matter what scheme I'm in, what scheme I would be employed to do. Right. But when they watched our group, that was what I wanted to see. Well, Coach, I love that, and that's such a great reminder, especially for for someone like me who, you know, and and I and I, I fall into the trap of sometimes, you know, you wanna you wanna hurry up and 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 move through things and check things off the list, and we got to get this in, we got to get this in, and then sometimes it's tempting when you see guys not, you know, maybe they're still struggling on steps or hand placement or or whatever it may be, that you know, it's 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 really is tempting to kind of say, all right, whatever I had planned for the rest of the day, we're cutting that out, and we're gonna we're gonna camp out on this until everybody's got it because. You know, we obviously need to fix this, and that's a that's a tough thing sometimes for especially for us younger coaches because we want to do we want to move to to you know point C or point D or whatever uh, before we master those those fundamental things. See, that's the discipline. It, it was your philosophy, how much you believe in it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah. are you saying you believe in it? Are yeah. you really in your mind, heart, spirit, and soul? See, your soul is behind your heart. The spirit is in front of your heart. But when you talk about you believe with your soul, everything you believe in, you believe it with your soul, that's behind your heart. So I believe in that. And and it also makes sure you don't win. Because remember this, in a football game, when is the bullets are flying, it's high tempo, it's hot, lots of stuff on the line. They revert back to what they know. Yeah. And it's called slipping. It's just they're going to slip. And no matter how well you taught them the assignment or how well you did this, when you grade it, not many grade out 100%. Always 80, 70. That means they messed up on 30% of the thing. You know what I mean? That's slipping. So how do you avoid slippage in the areas you believe in? Which to me, it's effort, toughness, the technique. I'm not going to avoid slippage in that. It, we, we're not going to slip much in that. that if, if it is, it may be 1%, but boy, next week when I get them, trust me, it won't be 1% then. Yeah. So what you believe in has got to be in your soul, man. It's got to be in your, not just your mind and your, and your heart. Those are good places. And your spirit, those are great places to have it. But do you believe in your soul? And that's the case, the moment, the second you see lack of effort, you straighten it. Not too safe. But the second somebody's late, you straighten. The second, the second, not two seconds. The second you see it, the second something happens, the second you see someone not being as tough as you want, straighten it immediately. And that's just called consequence, you know, yeah. uh, events yeah. and consequences. So I believe in what I believe in, and, and everybody has their deal. But 
you know, I'm asked, you know, well, what I'm doing, and I've had coordinators that say, Coach, now I'll tell them, Coach, just when we play, you'll like what we have on the field. Right now, they have not mastered these things. Called master, master your technique, master your craft. So the discipline comes from what you believe in, and not you're not being in support to the coordinator, but you know you what you want his group, his group because they're, they're his, but you're responsible for that group under him. How you want them to play on Friday night, Saturday, you know where it might be, you know. Yeah. So yeah, you know there's a show, a movie. Called he, it's a uh, Al uh, Al Pacino. Uh, Al, yeah, Al, and 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 uh, Robert De Niro, and it's a great movie. You gotta watch it, man. But that there, uh, Al's a detective who's been married three times, and he bird dogs uh, criminals. And Robert De Niro is one of the sharpest criminals ever. And one of the deals I like, because I pulled for bad guys the times in that movie. I got to check that out right now on the podcast. <laughs> I, want the bad, I want the bad guy to win sometimes, you know? Yeah. And, and, and Robert Nero told, they, were, they met one time, because Al is a, just tenacious. And then he said, when it, it comes time for us to, to hit, maybe battle each other, I'm not going to hesitate. And then uh, Robert Nero says, I was taught if you're not ready to leave any and whatever you are in 30 seconds flat, you won't be able to, to, to be in the same ball game with me. And he says, so you're willing to, and then Al goes, you wouldn't leave anything, your woman or anything in this case? And this is, I won't do it. This is what he said. And that's the discipline. That's so cute that story just told you. Yeah. That's the yeah. discipline that you understand and believe Nope. You know what, guys? We don't have to be on time yet. We got to fix that. Yeah. Well, that's good. Now you can teach. Yeah. Now they'll be alert. You know, and then it's effort. And it's whatever techniques you decide. I watch you coach. I know you coach. You get after, man. Keep doing what you're doing. And whatever I can, you can learn or whatever we can share, hope it helps you. But that's what I believe in. Well, Coach, that's that. That is, uh, you know, again, just really great stuff and great for us as as, as coaches, uh, especially younger coaches, to hear. And I, one drill that you mentioned, which is a drill that I love, and and I think that it's kind of sometimes maybe pushed aside as from for uh, because sometimes it's overlooked or maybe people want to move on to other things. But is 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 the pursuit drill, and and I think everything you're talking about instilling in your defense can be can be you know accomplished through a pursuit drill. So just talk about how you used to run your pursuit drill and how you ran that when you were a coordinator. Well, the one thing that, 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 that is, is at the beginning of the drill, you want to start off, even though like, for example, they work hard all summer. Uh, when they start the season, once I got to Lincoln at Oklahoma, we would start off, we would start off with full, full field to scrimmage and defense and offense. It would be red zone first. So the kids didn't have to train that much early. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, the early in practice, uh, season practice. And then as a, after that first couple of days, then it became a full field pursuit drill, which I talk about here. I think with the pursuit drill, everybody's done a bunch. They've done it with the runner. They've done it with uh, a particular coach. Uh, uh, 
run to a particular coach to the sideline. I think there's, you know, the, 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 there's whatever suits you and to make sure everyone is watched through the pursuit drill. It doesn't matter. And all your coaches have to be on the same page. Everybody has to finish the drill. So one of the ones I like is we have a, you can have a hose that designates for the D-line or outside back of the line. Uh, usually defense or young guys, a quarterback. And uh, it's a run or, or point reaction to left or right sideline. Mm-hmm. Go back to the beginning of this drill, though. Before they do that, they got to take the field properly. Yeah, yeah. So before we even line up on the hole, they got to take the field with great effort. And then I'll make a you make a rip a lip Liz call and they gotta get lined up with maniac type effort to get lined up. I mean they gotta be scrapping to get lined up. So you start them in a muddle huddle and you go rip, 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 and they better be scrambling to get in those areas. If not, go back to the sideline, take the field properly again, and do that. So once they get lined up, maybe I always gotta go back to the beginning of the drill. That drill starts with that, you know what I mean? Come to oh, the field yeah. properly. But one of the suit drills would be after, if they take the field properly, if they get lined up with urgency uh, and, and, and with quickness, uh, then we would give a, 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 a pursuit to the either a run pursuit or a pass pursuit. Uh, and if, there's a, if, if it's on all of them, one of the ways some people have done an up-down or a burpee or a roll, left or roll to the right. So if you were running a point to the right sideline or to the left defensively, they would roll left, get up, and then run to a point. Here's what the TV comes in. Not only full speed, but being smart full speed in your pursuit drill. Never follow the same color jersey. That's that's coaching 101. And never follow the same. So working on pursuit angles is one thing. That's the whole, that's one Pursuit drill is uh, you got a point here, and throughout you got cones designated to where each guy finishes. That teaches the pursuit angle from the backside corner to the front side defensive end, particularly. And then you have one where they can go past, where you take same thing. It may be an up down on a pass. Those guys rush the passer with the uh, defense coordinator or quarterback coach. Quarterback who throws a football left, right, middle, where he chooses, linebacker, they got to turn and break out of the stack because the line wise, if I got a break to the ball, and then we teach them to run their sideline with the ball in their hand. That's the same drill you did with the cone. Yeah. Then you can vary off of that. It can be uh, the short pursuit drill where everybody runs and like a a beehive, like a swarm of bees to one particular area. Right. So right. you got the pursuit drill talk, but now this next one, there's going to be a bag set at 20 yards from where the ball is. And and they got to take great pursuit angles, and it doesn't it, it doesn't stop until everybody gets to that bag like a swarm of bees. Yep. Swarm of bees. You know, that kind of thing. But, you know, I would say all of them still start with the Break from huddle on the sideline, approach the field on, with with great pride 
and, 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 and urgency, taking the field properly, and then breaking the huddle. And that's for two reasons. One, it shows the offense you're ready. But two, with these up-tempo offense, you got to be lined up quick. So it's a yeah. two-fold there. Yeah, Coach, I love that drill. And I just think there's so much that you can teach within that drill. And it's not just about getting those guys tired. But you're right, it's, it's teaching them to – to first get lined up, take the field the proper way. I, I love that. That's a huge point of emphasis on that drill. And then, you know, you can talk about effort all you want, but if you don't put those kids in stressful situations where everybody, where all eyes are on them, then it, then it's really tough for them to, to. It's really tough for you to be able to get that out of them and get that effort out of them, unless you're you're constantly stressing that and putting them in situations that demand great effort. And it's really it's it's a, pursuit drills a great way to do that because there's an offense out there. You can look at just your eleven guys and see who's really Who's really, uh, you know, giving great effort? And who's not? And you and you got to be ready to vent. If one guy's not giving, the, and every, every coach has been in agreement, if they're not taking the field properly, you got to do that ten times in a row with that one group to get yeah. it done. Yeah. Until they do it, if you really mean what you say and say what you mean, yeah. And I, 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 I mean what I say. I say what I mean. We're gonna take the field properly. Like a first class defense, and the one defense is going to be the top defense in the country. Take the field that way, right? You know, right? Uh, you know, the, the 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 best athletes don't play in the NFL. The most professional athletes do. Oh yeah. So taking the field is being a professional. Yeah. Take the field like that. So you know, they they get the hang of it once you know you weren't playing. Once they find out you were not playing, <laughs> I never had a problem with that because I'm not gonna. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care about your feelings. I don't care about if it hurts your your feelings. I don't care if you if 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 everyone doesn't do it, it does not count. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Love you it. can't do it, and I'm that's one of those things that's in my soul. I love it. What advice would you give to coaches? You know, if you uh, assistant coaches who are making the leap from position coach to coordinator for the first time, or a coordinator who's making the leap to head coach for the first time, what advice would you give those guys? Well, hopefully they they did. Sort of what I did, you know, they prepared for it along the way. Uh, that's what helped me. You know, you imagine well, just how I prepared for each move. Well, when I was a court, I played for a head coach. So imagine the day you get in a bowl game, the day you get arrive at the bowl site, 30 minutes after you arrive, you're told you're going to be the head coach in the Alamo Bowl. <laughs> you got, so you got 30 minutes to prepare to be a head coach. Not two days, not a week. Uh, you got that. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, I'll be a defensive coordinator again. If I was told on a Sunday I was going to be defensive coordinator at Texas Tech, and we got a game the next Saturday. So I had one, one, one week. No, no, I didn't. I started playing that back at, at Lumberton High School, yeah. at Clemson, at Austin P. State, at North Alabama. Uh, at Blackman State, I started playing that back then, and that's that's the truth. Because I would, I, and the adjustment came easy because I've been practicing practicing that like a speed. You know what I mean? I yeah. practiced it like yeah. it was not prepared for that. So you got to prepare for those situations before it happens. And I want to say the same thing I told you. Let me ask you something now. You think now about my our team as a head coach or a coordinator. First thing is everybody gonna be early. It yeah. doesn't matter if I coach linebackers, D-line, the defense, special teams, a team. The next thing is what? Effort. Right? Yep. Yep. I mean, so it doesn't matter. God, 
defense, the whole team, position, doesn't matter. Go back to the first conversation we had. The philosophy I have doesn't matter. You ask about coaching D-line. It doesn't matter because my philosophy doesn't change. And because I've devoted to learning different techniques and skills by conventions and by professional enhancements and those things, it didn't matter. So if a coach becomes a defense coordinator, hopefully you've been prepared for that position by mentally preparing how to control a whole position, I mean a whole group, by how you're going to control your position. And then the, the, the deal of defense and what you want to do as a defense, if it's a brand new start, you got to do what you believe in wanting to do. You want to be a multiple defense, three, four defense, or even defense, whatever you choose defensively. Now, if you want to be a head coach, then I'd already planned how, what type of offense I wanted to run as a head coach. I knew what defense I wanted to run because I've been a part of both, odd and even. But I I knew when I got to, I knew in 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 play as a player I wanted to be in a tough offense that got the ball to multiple players, which the wishbone does. You have a quarterback, fullback, two halfbacks. That's four guys that touch the ball. When I got Texas Tech with Coach Lee, and that offense, then I then I got a chance to see what I want to do. Throwing the football, if you didn't have the, the same athletes that your opponent had, you know, yeah. Wes Welker ran four seven for in front of NFL at Texas Tech, but he's gonna be in the Hall of Fame, you know. So, what do you have in your offense as a head coach? What do you want to do there? Have your plan? What's your belief? Is it run game? Is it wish ball, flex ball? You want to throw the football, <coughs> but have a have a plan for that. Even down to the coaches you wanted. What type of offensive line coach do you want to coach your offense if you're a defensive guy? What type of defensive line coach do you want as a head coach to coach your D-line? Special teams coordinator. Everything. So I had thought about all that before I got a head job. I thought about all that being a coordinator before it happened. Who I wanted, what I wanted to do, who I wanted to work with, who would be a good teacher, who would be, you know, communicate, those type things. So. I would say the first thing, be prepared, and then don't be afraid to ask questions, you know, because you don't know it all. You know, I, I say this, God gave you two eyes and two ears and one mouth for a reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, he wanted you to have two mouths, and he gave you two mouths. So as a, if, if you're new, call and, call and ask. You know, most old school guys are not afraid to share knowledge. You know, and I'm old school, I'm not, I'm not afraid to share knowledge. I don't know it all. But I've messed up enough to figure out what not to do, which is key. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yep, yep. Yeah. It's like, Coach, it's like that old saying, you know, it, you, you stay ready and you ain't got to get ready. You know? That's, that's, that's what, in essence, is what I, exactly. So I prepared for each one before it happened, not knowing if it would even happen. Right. But if it did, I was ready. So each time. Like, you, can you imagine? I'm coaching linebackers. They made D line just a set. I made D line. I had linebackers first, then D line. And it's a Saturday after a game. I get named coordinator the next day after a game on a Sunday. There's no warm up for that. <laughs> yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And the yeah. same thing at the, the head job at the at the Texas Tech at Ammo Bowl. So, what do I do? 
I can he already you should hear no by now. First thing I'm gonna do is make sure everybody's aware of time. Yeah, be early. And then the next thing is we're gonna be known as the effort group. Coaches yeah. were giving great effort, players giving great effort, everybody in the program and organization giving great effort. Everyone, great effort. Not just players, but everyone, players included. You know what I mean? So you gotta have that base philosophy, what you believe in, that makes everything go easier. You know what I mean? And yes, then sir. The one last thing that I got not, not, for, that, for that point, that question you asked, be yourself. Don't try to be something you're not. What I find a lot of times, guys get a chance, opportunity, and they change. They change who they are, what made them successful, and they try to do it another way or try to be somebody else. One of the things, again, it goes back to my dad coaching and Coach died. Man, I'm gonna be myself. I, I, you might not like myself or like what I bring, but I'm always be myself. Why? Because I can fix myself if something's wrong. Yeah. And then next, even more importantly, your coach, your players, as a coordinator, and your coaches, as a head coach and a coordinator, real recognizes real, game recognizes game. They recognize that you're real and you believe in what you believe in. If you're trying to be somebody else, it shows up quick, which I've never, I don't know how that feels because I've never tried to be anybody else in my 39 years of coaching, ever, ever, ever. When I, I, how I am talking to you right now, if I was coaching tomorrow, first thing first, how can be what? We're going to know about what? We're going to be early. We're going to be early. Yeah, we're going to be early. Next thing. Because you're going to be known for yeah. great effort. You, you got me? I and got it's you. Not gonna, so that's what you believe in, you know? So. I never changed how I coach, how I love the kids. Like, the other thing I would tell a group was, <coughs> I promise you I won't be fair to, with you. I'm not going to be fair. I prom I'm not. I'm not a fair coach. I don't believe in being fair. Fair is where they fix corn dogs and you throw darts at balloons and <laughs> you hit the Ferris wheel and you hit a, the fat lady in the head with something. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's a fair. I want to be honest with you. I will be honest. I'm not fair. I'm honest. And and I believe in being honest. Fair means somebody's trying to run a game on you. Trying yeah. not to be honest. So I believe in not being fair. I just believe in being honest. You know? And and uh, uh, so that's my... I live by that. It's not just on, on the field, but it's at home too, you know? Coach Mania, I gotta ask: Do you, do you have some 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 preacher some, somewhere down in, in the line? You know, somebody in your family was a preacher because you're preaching today. You're bringing it today. Well, that's how I am. You talk about stuff you believe in. You know, yeah. it comes from your soul. It comes yeah. from your. Remember, I told you this. It comes from your brain, your heart, and then it comes from your spirit, but it comes from your soul. So when you ask me something that I believe in, like a preacher, preaching a sermon. It comes off just like you said. Yeah. And that's how it comes off to your players, just like you heard. Yeah. Because I believe in it. And I don't flinch. I don't hesitate. I can go back to the first thing we asked. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. I believe in what we talked about and what I believe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm pretty good at motivating them, I think, you know, getting them to play hard. Oh, uh, coach, I, I mean, I, I can just, I can, I can feel the pat, your passion and, and your, uh, just your genuine nature coming through these speakers here and I can't I, I'm sure that's the same for the guys listening to this so uh, I just can't imagine you know being in the room with you and and, be, and playing for you I mean I'm ready to go right now coach let's 
let's go run some pursuit drill right now. I'll be early and, and uh, give you a great go. effort. There you go. We're uh, good then. We'll be on the right track. <laughs> Coach, last, last question in this section, and then, and then we'll do a couple little wrap-up things. But, you know, you've, you've talked about both of these guys, and, and I just real quick talk about, you know, coaches, you know, Lincoln Riley and Mike Leach that, that you know, on the surface seem like they are polar opposites. But I'm sure that there's some commonalities there. But you've worked for both of them. You know, talk about the just working for both of those guys, both great coaches. Well, I think both both came up. up one of my ethos, my ethos, my belief, that's your belief, is I believe in earn, not giving. Uh, everybody I know and you that I'm close to, they've earned their way and never been given anything. Mike earned his way. To become a, a, a coach, period. Starting back at working as a student assistant and then at uh, St. Louis Obispo and getting with uh, Hal Mummy at Iowa Wesleyan, then Balanza State, and then Kentucky, and then Oklahoma, then Texas Tech, and blah, 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 right? Yeah. yeah. Same, thing with, same thing with Lincoln. I'm attracting those guys. Lincoln, student assistant, made below zero. Graduate system made zero dollars. Then he earned his way to full time. And then when I had a chance to get the job, East Carolina office coordinator. And then uh, as Oklahoma came, he took that job. And then the head coaching job came. And it was not by accident. It's because he was ready for it, prepared for it. Uh, so both those guys have systems similar, similar, they believe in with their soul, but different as well. Even though Lincoln was a part of Mike and I was a part of Mike, the good knows the difference is Lincoln has more run game, for example. Right. You know, but in all both of them are similar with the pass concept, stretching you vertically and horizontally, and with the run game. You know, so they'll stretch you with depth and with width of the field with different routes. And then add run game, both have that. Lincoln's probably expanded the run game uh, with this offense. He started with us in East Carolina, expanded the run game, had two back runs, those kind of things, and then uh, and, and, and took another level at Oklahoma, of course. But uh, both of them believe what they believe in. You see them on the sideline with a little small piece of paper. Yeah. That's, that's not an accident. Because remember, keeping it simple is keeping it simple. You yeah, know, like yeah. the reason they beat you on pass routes is they're going to run 50 post routes, for example, or 50 mesh routes a day. Yeah. You can't practice 50 post routes on defense or 50 mesh routes a day. You yeah. can't do it. There's not enough time. Yeah. No matter how you got to. So they believe what they believe in, and they both have done a great job. At their stock, Mike at Texas Tech, in Washington State, and Mike do a great job. Michigan State, what? Lincoln did a great job when he has opportunity with us, East Carolina, Oklahoma as an offensive coordinator. As a head coach, is unmatched. His first three as the head coach, he's won three Big Twelve championships and been to the playoffs three times in a row. Yeah, and, you know he's twelve and two, twelve and two, twelve and two. At, 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 at ask any coach, would he want to win thirty six games? Three championships and three playoff appearances. You know what I'm saying? So, right, right. And, and, and he's going to continue because he has a plan. He believes in it. 
And he's all, and he's one thing about, you know, uh, we talked to you tonight that the key to strength is flexibility and change. And you talked about it, we talked about before the show was adaptability. Lincoln's got a plan and ready to adapt it, and it, it's flexible as well, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Coach, great stuff today, and and I and I mean that sincerely, and and I, you know, I just really appreciate you, uh, just just coming on and speaking with passion, and 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 it's obvious that this stuff, like you said, is coming from your soul, and and I definitely appreciate that. I wanna wanna have some fun as we close out this episode, and 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 this is kind of our um, our rapid fire questions here, and uh, so I'm gonna shoot you a couple words, and you just pick one, and then we'll uh-huh. move on. Okay, mm-hmm. first one, Coach. Three down or four down front? Multiple. <laughs> okay. All right, for you as a coach, would you rather be sideline or in the press box? Press box. Indoor game, so playing in indoors or outdoor? Indoor. All right, coach, for you, pregame routine. All right, this is your pregame routine. Are you, are you listening to music or no music? No music. No music, okay. Shade up nose or head up? Uh, both. <laughs> Now, Coach, you, you kind of, you kind of cheating here, Coach. You hedging a little bit, but okay, I, 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 okay. Uh, go back to the first. One. I'll be odd on the first one, and uh, I like uh, a, I like a zero. All right, I saw what he did. Right. I've had a choice. But hey, but I would I wasn't gonna I was gonna let you I was gonna let it slide, Coach, because I don't want you to make I don't want I don't want to have you you know well, I, I get on your bats. Honest, that came up first. Multiple and both. All right, I got you. I got you. I got you. All right, all right. Now this one, this one. This one can't be both four-point stance or three-point stance. Three-point. Okay. All right. Now, this one definitely can't be both. You're going to have to pick, the pick on this one. You, you from North Carolina. You spent a decade in, in Texas out there in Lubbock. Carolina barbecue or Texas barbecue? Woo! Well, yeah, that's a tough question. I can't say both. You got to pick one, Coach. I, I, Texas barbecue. Okay. All right. We'll keep that on the on the hush hush for those Carolina people. Yeah, I, All right. I, I, I like Texas barbecue with the wax paper and the Onions and peppers and the brisket and oh, that sounds good. Yeah, sounds good oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yes, sir. Okay, you mentioned both of these guys, so I'm gonna throw them at you. Uh, earlier, talking about talking about your movie reference. All right, who are you taking as a better actor, Al Pacino or Robert De Niro? Wow, man, that's hard. I both. I can't, <laughs> I, 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 I'm a movie buff too. I'm a, I'm a movie buff. Well, I tell you what, both of them do so acting, man. Think about it, man. Yeah. From, uh, yeah, so I, I got both of them agree, okay. and they change. This I mean, they can make you love them or hate them in a, in, as an actor. That's that's a great actor. Yeah, you know? you're right. You're right. All right, coach. Here's the scenario. Okay, it's third and long. All right, game's winding down. Are you sending pressure, or are you sitting back and playing coverage behind it and maybe running some games through the D line? So pressure or no pressure? Third and long into the game. Four man game. Four man games that we've studied all week. Let's go get us clean, like we did in the bowl, and like we did in the playoff game against in the overtime against Big Twelve in the Big Twelve game. Up front movement and defend on the back end. I like it. I like it. All right, now this is bonus, Coach. You said you're a movie buff. Now you know everybody's had a lot more time on their hands with this quarantine. So real quick, give us your um, some movie recommendations that we for coaches that we should check out while we're uh, sitting at home on this quarantine. Bad boys. A Way Back by with Ben Affleck, Bombshell, The Gentleman, Dust Mercy, Dark Water, you know, Queen of Slim, 21 Bridges, Harriet has been great. So that's just 
There you go. There you go. No, I, I got you. I got you. There you go, guys. Those are that's that's Coach McNeil's movie references there for you. Now, did you get into the Tiger King stuff on Netflix at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody. I watched that. Man. <laughs> and that's what I call it. I call it a mess. Yeah, oh, you, mean, you're just, right. You're right. I mean, what the, what the heck, really? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, Coach, uh, I, I really appreciate it, and and uh, had a lot of fun talking with you today. Thank you so much. Uh, good luck. Uh, this next year and and best wishes to your dad and and our prayers are with with you and with him and and uh, just hope everything goes well with you and we'll be looking for you on a on, a, on another college sideline here in, in the near future real soon i right, appreciate you brother good talking to you man have a great one big shout out to coach mcneil bringing us some great stuff today you know i loved what he had to say about keeping things simple and about believing in your philosophy with, with your soul. And, and one thing I thought he said there towards the end that was really unique is when he said you know, that he isn't a fair coach. Uh, he said instead that he, he's always going to be honest with his players, which frankly is exactly what our kids need. You know, They get a lot of soft talk and sugar-coated messages from a lot of different places, but they ought to know that when they're talking with us that they're always going to get honesty, which means it may not be what they always want to hear, but, but what they need to hear. So I really like that, and again, I appreciate Coach McNeil stopping by today. You know, he also gave us some great movie recommendations. So, I mean, we had something for everybody today, and, and I just really had a lot of fun with this episode. Uh, be sure to follow Coach McNeil on Twitter, at McNeil. Let him know you heard him on KYPD, and also keep his dad and his health in your prayers as well. Speaking of praying, our quote of the day is this. If you're praying, you're not worrying. And if you're worrying, you're not praying. That is a quote from Coach McNeil, actually, and a great reminder for us all, for sure. Well, that will do it for this episode of KYPD, but don't worry. We'll be back next week for episode number 60, which is going to be a huge episode. We will welcome on one of the most sought-after experts on leadership and culture in our country. And he was gracious enough to sit down and talk with us. So whether you are a football coach insurance salesman, hourly worker, or a CEO, you will definitely want to check out next week's episode. I cannot wait for you to hear it. Until then, as the country starts to move towards opening things back up, remember what Coach McNeil said today. Be early. Give great effort. Oh, yeah. And one more thing. Keep your pads down. <laughs>